All right, you guys can flip over to Acts 22 this morning if you've got your Bibles or your phones with you. I guess phones count now, which is kind of weird, but you can read your Bible on your phone, which is actually a blessing. Um, I got to go to Eugene this week to officiate a wedding for my nephew, which was a, a big honor for me. And um, uh, then we went to Triangle Lake. The Joyce family has a big get-together there every year where we gather there at the lake. And, and it was a great time away for me in the midst of... Um, so much negativity and, and so much kind of, uh, you know, just just hard things. It was kind of like this little oasis of grace for the week. There's no internet. Your phone doesn't get a signal out there. Uh, there's no texts or emails. And so we just got to sit there and enjoy God's creation and each other. And, um, you know, it just reminded me of how much hope there still is in the midst of a time when things seem not very hopeful at times. So I got to see two Christians get married. I got to see uh, two of my nieces and nephews with their newborn babies, and two more of my nieces who are expecting their first child. Um, two different nieces, two different children. That's not a weird stuff, but you guys, yeah, I could have gotten any more. You have to explain that kind of stuff, which is strange, but sorry about that. I got to hear children laughing and playing and sharing, children sharing their toys with each other and things like that. It was just a blessing to watch. Uh, it all reminded me just of uh, how much goodness there is, how much grace there is around us every day if we just look for it and, and, and notice it. And God is so faithful. He's so good all the time. And so for the Christian, I just want to remind you that hope is real. It, it's something you can grab hold of every day and make sure you do. So I'm, I'm glad for the chance to get away for a few days. It was great. So we're in Acts 22. And um, up till this point in Paul's journey, he's, he's mostly been uh, playing Offense. If you're a sports person, you know how that, that, that goes. Uh, Tony Merida in his commentary points out that Paul's been playing offense up to this point, and now he has to start playing defense. And, and you need both to, to be able to do well. And so on offense, he was going out. My Bible's just turning pages on its own. But <laughs> this is going to work. I need magnets or something. Um, he, he's been, like, charging forward in the mission field on offense, and now he's been arrested. He's getting ready to go on trial. Uh, this is a time where it could have been extremely defeating and depressing for Paul. A time when he could have just said, you know what, I'm going to give up. I'm just going to leave the race for a while. But, but he, instead of that, he gives us an example to follow in, in times when things seem a little hopeless or when circumstances or times kind of change. Uh, we can't lose hope. We, uh, we have to adjust to the new normal and press on. I see a lot of Christians kind of sidelined right now. And it's various reasons. Sometimes it, it could be health, it could be fear, discouragement, frustration, maybe just apathy. I don't know what it is exactly, but I, I just see a lot of Christians kind of on the sidelines right now and not, not engaging back. And there's a study that just came out that confirms this from Barna that, that showed that only one in three church-going Christians has come back to church. Only one in three. That's, uh, I mean, it's surprising, it's disheartening, and quite frankly, it's kind of alarming. And so I'm so happy to see, you know, a lot of people here today in Lapine right now, just so you know, when we started back up there, you know, we had planted this church and it was getting some momentum and then COVID happened and everything just stopped. So when we started back up, we're thinking, what are we going to have? 10 people, 15 people. And the first week back, there was over 50, maybe 60 people last week. I heard it was about the same, maybe more. I'm guessing, you know, there's been more there than here, which is pretty cool. So, and it's new people, uh, people pulling up in RVs. 
in the middle of the service, opening their doors, putting chairs out, and listening to God's Word being preached. So, uh, you know, having that place in the park is cool. So I want to encourage you guys with a couple things. One, um, if you're listening online and if you've been kind of tentative, plug back into church as much as you can. I know we have to be careful. I know we have to be smart. But if you can plug back in, plug back in. It's good for us. If you've seen people that are missing, uh, that have fallen through the cracks and you haven't seen in a while, call them and encourage them. See how they're doing. See how you can pray for them. We try to do that, but I know we miss people. If you're one of those people that maybe you're listening or you know you haven't been here for a while, check in with us. I just had somebody yesterday text me and say, hey, we're still alive. We're tuning in. Uh, we miss you guys. And it was so good to hear that because we don't know all the time. And really just pray. Pray for this church. Pray for the church in La Pine. Uh, pray for the other churches in the community. Pray for the leaders. It's just a really weird time for all of us. And so, um, anyway, much to be hopeful for as well. Though. Okay. I'm not closing God's Word. I've got it written in my notes, so don't get worried. We're going to be in God's Word. But it is blowing around like crazy. So, Okay. Um, last week, we saw Agabus' prophecy fulfilled with Paul. He told Paul he would be bound. If he went to Jerusalem, the things were going to go bad for them, and that's exactly what happened. He ends up in chains. He ends up arrested by the Romans, and, and he causes quite a stir from the Jewish crowd before all of this happens. They accuse him of several things. They say that Paul is trying to turn people against them, turn people against the, the Jews and their, and, their, and their religion. He's trying to turn people against the law, and he's trying to turn people against the temple. And in truth, that was partially true. You can always find a nugget of truth in some of these things that we see as headlines. Um, he wasn't like trying to erase Judaism by any means. He was trying to convert them to something better. Jesus is the better version of Judaism. He's the, the better, you know, the fulfillment of the law and the better version of the temple. And so really, all in truth, he's just trying to set these people free from the burden of these things to introduce them to the better version of all of them, Jesus, so that they can, they can be free in him. He was trying to help them because he loved them, but, but the world doesn't see it that way. They see it as us trying to take something from them or, or, or hurt them in some way. They also falsely accuse Paul of bringing Gentiles into the temple, which is a big no-no. You don't do that. I like the way Terry put it last week. Uh, the reaction towards uh, the Jews toward Paul would be kind of like if somebody was an NRA, at an NRA rally, and then they, they pointed to him and said, hey, this guy's trying to take all of our guns away. That's how Paul was in the temple that day. That was just a bad spot to be in, in general. Uh, it wasn't going to go well for him. They grabbed Paul. They started to beat him. They had you know, plans to probably actually kill him. But the Romans came in and, and took him out of that. So Paul's taken into custody by the Romans. But as he's being hauled off, he convinces the commander. Uh, the ESV says tribune or tribune. or I'm just going to say commander. So I'm just going to officially change that word to commander, even though that's not what the version says because it sounds weird to me. Uh, don't usually do that with God's word, but that's a fair a trivia. A commander was the uh, Kiliarch. He was a commander over a thousand men. So chief commander, different versions say different things. So hang with me if you're there. Uh, Paul asked him if I can address the crowd. Hey, can I go back and address the crowd? First off, Paul's just a stud. I don't get this at all. <laughs> I just got rescued from being beaten with an inch of my life, and they're going to haul me away someplace. And I'm thinking, thank you, Lord. I'm going to go sit in my cell. I'm going to let my heart rate get back to normal. I'm going to just think, okay kind of gather myself, and no, Paul's like, well, wait a minute, would it be okay if I went back out and talked to the crowd? And I'm like, this guy's awesome. The cool thing is he says it in Greek. He asks in Greek. So that immediately, the commander goes, oh, this guy knows Greek. And he tells him he's from Tarsus. And those two things combined gave Paul credibility with, with this guy. So he said, sure, you can go out and talk to the crowd. So Acts 21 ends in verse 40 by saying, and when he, the commander, had given Paul permission, 
Paul stood on the steps, motioned with his hand, and it says a great hush fell over the crowd, and he addressed them in Hebrew, saying, Acts 22, verse 1, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. That word defense is apologia in the Greek, is where we get our, our term apologetics, the idea where we defend what we believe. Paul's going to start giving uh, a defense for his, his all that's going on. And it says in verse 2, when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So the fact that Paul spoke in Aramaic got their attention. This intrigued them. Oh, you know, they were accusing him of basically wanting to wipe out all things Jewish, and then he speaks their language. And all of a sudden they got even more quiet and were willing to listen. Speaking somebody else's language creates an immediate connection, figuratively and literally. We need to find ways to do that. Well, Paul's going to go on to tell them where he was born, where he was brought up, who he was educated by, and his life's mission uh, up, to this, up to this point, what it had been, to further demonstrate all that they had in common. So in verse 3 he says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are to this day. So he's off to a great start. A lot of credibility for him here. I'm a Jew, just like you. Um, I was born in Tarsus, but I was raised in Jerusalem, and that was a big deal to them. If you were one of those dispersed Jews that just showed up for, you know, festivals and, and, and things like that, you weren't as good as the real Jews, the Jerusalem Jews. So he's a local boy, and he points that out. He says he was educated by Gamaliel. This is a big. This is like saying Michael Jordan taught me how to play basketball. There, there's nobody, you know, better. This was the, the top of the game as far as education went. And, he's, and he points out, guys, you're zealous. Clearly, you're zealous for God. You know, you just tried to kill me because of your zealousness for God. I was zealous, too. And then he goes on to explain what that looked like. In verse 4, he talks about how he tried to stamp out Christianity, which, which they refer to as the way. So in verse 4, he says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them... I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So you remember the story? Paul's going to say it again back in, in uh, Acts chapter 9, Paul's conversion story. In 9, Luke tells the story. Here, Paul's going to say it in his own words. But it's the same story. Paul was on his way to Damascus to wipe out Christianity. His mission was to stop Christians, to wipe them out, to arrest them, to kill them if necessary, to eradicate it from earth. But... He was zealous, for sure. But God had other plans. So right now, they're all on the same page. Paul just said, you know, we're like a bunch of peas in a pod here. But now he's going to start to explain to them what happened to turn it from a zealous Jew into a zealous Jesus follower. By the way, in this next section, uh, he's going to refer to himself as Saul. Uh, Paul and Saul are the same guys. I think most of you guys know that, but just so that you don't get confused. Uh, Paul is the Greek version of his name, and Saul is the Jewish version of his name. Same name. That's the difference. Verse 6 says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, at noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Notice that Jesus equates persecuting the church with persecuting himself, Jesus himself. If you're hurting his bride, you're hurting him. And if you're married, you can relate to that, right? 
Nobody messes with my bride. I mean, you heard her, you're, you're going to have to answer me. You see the same connection with Jesus when it comes to his church. Verse 9, he says, Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise, and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, and I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And then Ananias tells him why God has done this. Verse 14, And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul just shared his testimony with me. He's got this captive audience, and he uses it to share his own personal story of how he met Jesus and what took place there. A testimony is a powerful thing. If you don't have your testimony down to about a three-minute version of it, Get it ready. You know, think it through. A testimony needs to include the before, the during, and the after. Right? This is who I was. Jesus interrupted my life. I met him, and everything changed. And this is who I am today. I have a new identity. I've been made a new creature. A testimony is something people can't argue with because it's your story, and it's powerful. It's the work of God. And hearing a testimony, there's enough gospel in a testimony. There should be plenty of gospel for somebody to hear it and be saved. So, Get your testimony down if you haven't yet done that. Uh, now, like I said, all of this is very similar to the account from Acts chapter 9. But in verse 17, Paul gives us some new information. He says, When I had returned to Jerusalem and was in the temple praying, I fell into a trance. And I saw him, Jesus, say to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. It kind of looks like Paul's trying to tell this Jewish crowd that he's talking to, like, I like Jerusalem. I wanted to stay here. I would have stayed here the rest of my life. It's a great place to live and call home. If he's like me, I don't like change. I'd never leave anywhere if it wasn't for, you know, God dragging me by the collar. Paul kind of wanted to stay, it seems like. And it, it almost seems like in verse 19 he begins to kind of, I don't want to say argue with Jesus, but you know how we argue with God sometimes. Because he said, you know, they, they're not going to accept my testimony. He's like, wait a minute. Think about this, Lord. Think about who I was. Think about what I was doing. They saw all that. How else are they going to be able to? Describe this radical transformation that took place. They'll obviously know it's you, so I'm sure they'll believe you, but didn't work out that way. So verse 19, Paul says, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. But Jesus tells him, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So even, Paul wanted to, even though Paul wanted to stay, sometimes God moves us to places we don't want to go. I never wanted to come to Oregon. I even said, I will never move to Oregon. I said that to somebody, mark my lips. I mean, I was like that kind of thing. I will never move to Oregon. Guess where I lived like 11 months later? The beautiful state of Oregon. And I'm, I'm thankful for it. All right, well, Paul's, Paul's speech was going really remarkably well. If you think about where, you know, they went from beating him to hushed, listening intently, and everything was going swimmingly well um, until he used the G word in verse 21, and then it all fell apart. The minute he mentioned Gentiles, that was it. 
All he's basically saying is God wanted me, he told me he wanted me to go and tell non-Jews about him, and they lost it. Verse 22, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. That's pretty shocking, isn't it? This guy should die because of this. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. That's excessive, by the way. I wonder why they're yelling to this guy. I know. We'll beat him to within an inch of his life to find out. Because scourging was, a lot of people didn't live through that. That's what they did to Jesus. They say, I won't go into the details, but a lot of people didn't even live through a flogging. And the idea of these guys, um, how upset they got where they started, you know, throwing their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, that seems kind of weird to us. But it's kind of like their way of rejecting everything Paul just said. Like, you just said all this to us. And so it's like us going, you know, that kind of thing. That, that, we do it like that. They were more dramatic. They had more flair than we do. But they're booing Paul and they're saying, no, we reject everything you just said. So verse 25, they, they prepare Paul. To, to be scourged. And, and this is like the 11th hour kind of stuff here. Um, this is terrifying to me. But it says, When they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Just, it seems so casual. It's like, is that sort of thing frowned upon around here? You know, like Paul knew it was, and this guy knew it was too. Because in verse 26, it says, When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and said, what are you about to do? I like that because this is the guy with the witness hand saying to the commander, what are you about to do? It's like, no, dude, you were about to do it, actually. So the commander said to him, tell me. He comes to Paul and says, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul said, yes. And the commander answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. But Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the commander also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. So even to put somebody in chains that's a Roman citizen without any kind of a trial was against the rules. And flogging a Roman citizen without a trial was definitely against the rules. So God had saved Paul twice this day. Right? He had two close shaves. Now, I'm wondering, like, why Paul waits till the last minute to bring this up. Um, it seems like a really important detail just to throw out there. I'm, I'm picturing me in that same situation, and it, it would have been very different. I think everywhere I went, I would have been like, hey, my name's Brent, Roman citizen. Brent Maxwell, Roman citizen by birth. I would have had a shirt that just said Roman citizen by birth, just to avoid anything like this ever happening. Verse 30 ends this chapter by saying, but on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. So the saga is going to continue. Uh, we're we're going to end on a cliffhanger. Tune in next week right, <laughs> to find out what happens, or you can just read your Bibles. That's, that's fair game. Uh, but we'll pick things up here to find out what happens next. So, uh, you know, as we go through this, it's a pretty straightforward narrative, but we want to try to find ways to apply it to us. So the first thing I see in this text is that as Christians, we need to be bridge builders. Okay. We need to find connecting points with those who disagree with us and dislike us. Most of this passage describes Paul trying to build a gospel bridge 
to people who would rather see him dead. That's significant. They hated him. They hated everything he stood for. And he went out of his way to try to build a gospel bridge to them. And that's, that's not what we see happening today. I see more people blowing up bridges than trying to build them to people. And I see Christians involved in this too. I see Christians uh, just filled with disdain and hate for anybody who doesn't see things the way we do. You know why we see the way the things the way we do? Because the Holy Spirit indwells us and helps us to see things the way we do. So I wish I would see more people building bridges today. Because by not doing that, it's almost as if, you know, and I, I see this when I see, look at social media and I watch the way Christians interact with people. And I know they wouldn't say this, but it, but it actually looks as though they would almost rather see those people end up in hell. I mean, have you ever thought about that? You see what they post and the way they come about it, and you think, do you actually want to see these people in hell? Because that's what it looks like. Instead of building a bridge for them to get to God, you're over here, you know, pull, pushing the plunger down and removing any chance of it, humanly speaking. And it's very disturbing to see. And in contrast, what we see with Paul, if you look at Romans chapter 9, the first few verses, Paul says something that blows my mind every time I read it. In talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters, he says this. He says that his, his heart grieves and he's filled with anguish over their spiritual condition. And he said he would willingly be cursed and cut off from Christ if it would save them. Can you imagine saying that? People that hated him. I would, I would rather be cursed and cut off from Christ myself if they could be saved. I mean, he, he loved these people that much. He cared about their eternity that much. And it puts me to shame to read it and to think about it. We need to look for ways to connect with people who don't think like we do. And we can do that by treating people with kindness and respect and compassion. We can get to know them. We can hear their story and hopefully get a chance to share ours too. Because you know what? We probably have a lot more common than we think. I, I found that when you start to talk to people, non-Christians, people who might even say they hate everything about you, as you start to share your stories with each other, you'll find you have a lot in common. It doesn't mean that we'll always win them over to Christ, but you never know how the story will end, do you? I think about these people Paul talked to that day, all that he said to that crowd that day. Who knows what the Holy Spirit did with those seeds that were thrown into that crowd? Many of them may have become saved later. You never know what will happen. So build bridges with people. The other thing I see is that God uniquely outfits us for the task at hand. Uh, do you guys remember Q from the James Bond movies? Q is the guy in the research and development department that always hooked up Bond, you know, 007, with all the, the cool gadgets and stuff before his mission. So as he's getting ready to go on his mission, he's like, okay, this is a pen that will cut through metal. It's like a laser. And this is a car that will become a submarine. And you knew that all those things were going to come into the plot later. It's like he didn't just randomly give him these things. You know, but that's the way it worked out. But this is kind of what God does for Paul in this story, if you look at it, without the cool gadgets and cars. But, but he orchestrated Paul's entire life to get him to this point. The place he was born mattered. The languages he spoke came into play. The education he received. Even the tenacious personality that, that God gave to Paul factored into this. Paul was like, on one minute, one minute he's like riding full speed into Damascus to kill, to wipe out every Christian. God gets his attention, flips him around, and now he's going full speed to try to save everybody that he can and let them know about Christ. That's how God wired this guy. Right? And even the present crummy circumstances that Paul found himself in were ordained by God 
so that Paul could make Jesus known to this specific group of people at this specific time. That's how God works. Do you know that God has tasked you with the same thing he tasked Paul with? Your mission, should you choose to accept it, I know I'm mixing up movies things now, but is to make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. Teach people all that Jesus commanded him. Teach people to follow Jesus. Right? When I think about Paul sharing his testimony with all these people, he mentions two questions that he asked God that day uh, when God interrupted his life. And the two questions were the same questions you need to consider. Who are you, Lord? How do you answer that? If your answer is, if the answer is Jesus Christ, Lord of all, your maker, the one you will answer to someday, then the next question matters greatly. What shall I do, Lord? And he would answer, serve me, follow me, tell others about me, right? That's what we're called to do. It's funny because what, what Ananias tells Paul, like, you know, this is your mission, Paul. Listen to the words of this mission. It's going to sound pretty familiar because it's pretty much the same mission he's given you too. The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness to him, to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? <laughs> it's, it's the same call we've been given to go and let other people know about this wonderful Savior. God has placed you and I here, in this place, at this time, with these circumstances, around these people, for a reason. People right now are afraid, they're fearful, they're angry, they're without hope, and we have an answer in Christ to give them. So God has uniquely outfitted you to serve Him and make His name known. And there are places that only you have access to. God has given you unique access to certain places and people, whether it's your job or your social things or your family or your neighbors or whatever it is, there's places that you can get to very easily that maybe I could take advantage of those things. Pay attention to what God's doing and join him in those things. Paul could have easily looked at the glass as half empty. I'm the king of half, half empty. I actually want to get, there's a coffee cup that's made that says the glass is now half empty that I want because it just makes me laugh when I see it. But he didn't look at it. He didn't get upset with God about these crummy circumstances that he's going through. He saw it as a divine opportunity for God and he, and he pursued it. So, the, the, the next one I see is that we are to use our rights wisely. Paul was obviously willing to suffer for the name of Christ. Uh, the fact that he went to Jerusalem proves that out already. He knew that by going there, that chance of that happening would increase you know, substantially, and it did. But, but Paul wasn't a glutton for punishment, right? He didn't just needlessly suffer. I think sometimes as Christians we think, well, we need to just go out there and be martyrs. No. You know, when, if it comes to that, okay, but that's not the goal, right? You don't have to go out there and, like, try to get everybody mad at you and get into fights all the time. That, that doesn't help Christianity either. But Paul did use his rights as a Roman citizen to his advantage when necessary in order to advance the gospel. And I, I think we see that in this passage. Now, he didn't lead with his rights. He didn't walk around demanding his rights, but he used them when it, when it was needed. Normally, what we see Paul doing is the same thing Jesus does. He set his own rights aside for the sake of others. That's the normal pattern we see, and that's the pattern for us to follow. Because they both saw other people as more important than themselves, and we need to do the same. Right now, we have a lot of amazing rights as American Christians. Rights that most Christians throughout time have not had, have only dreamed of having. We have them. Right? We have the right to vote. We have the right to worship and gather. We have the right to free speech. 
and we have the right to due process. Those are all great things to have, and I'm very thankful for them. And we should enjoy them, take advantage of them for as long as we have them. They're not guaranteed. They could go away. Make the most of them while you have them, but not for the advancement of your kingdom, for the advancement of his kingdom. Huge distinction between those two things. A lot of times I think we're, we think we have these things so that we can we can build our own our own kingdom, follow our own agenda, but no, they're there so that we can follow his agenda and build his kingdom. <coughs> so Paul used his rights wisely. Well, there's one last observation that I find in this section, um, and even though it's not the main point at all, it's relevant to, to what we're going through today, and so I want to talk about it for a minute. And then that's just the obvious thing in this passage where you see that racism was a problem then, too. The Jews were racist towards Gentiles. Uh, they, they decided that Paul should not be allowed to live because he wanted to go and tell non-Jews about God. That's racist. That's, that's the very definition of it, right? But the, the Romans weren't much better in this account because they were racist towards non-Greeks. Uh, they had no problem possibly killing someone who wasn't one of them. Paul was an outsider. They're like, let's flog this guy. He may die. They didn't care. Paul was totally expendable until they found out he was a Roman citizen. And then automatically he had great value. That's messed up. Determining that someone is of less value because of their nationality, their race, their skin color, their gender, or their ability is ugly. It's sinful. It's evil. And it has no place in the church. It has no place among Christians. Right now, people are looking for solutions to this problem in the world. And they're coming up with some really goofy stuff, honestly. <laughs> There's some really wacky ideas about what will fix it. Do you know what, what fixes it? Jesus. Christianity has an answer. And that's what's so frustrating. I wish that, you know, it was so obvious that people could say, well, look at the church. It doesn't exist there. What are they doing different? And we need to, we need to be that. It needs to be invisible. It needs to be gone, vanished. You know, it shouldn't be even something people can see when they look at it. The reason Christianity has, has an answer for this is because of two things. Number one, it assesses all people the same. And number two, it values all people the same. I'm going to explain what I mean by those things. It assesses everyone as a sinner in need of forgiveness and salvation. Right? It levels the playing field. A Jewish person has the same need as a Gentile. A white person has the same need as a black person. A rich person has the same need as a poor person. Young, old, you can keep going, even though you might disagree with this, ladies. A man has the same need as a woman. And you're like, but you don't, you don't know my husband. I, I know. But, but it's true still, believe me. So Christianity assesses all people the same, but it also values all people the same because Jesus died to save people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And, and, and it's, it's just cool to think about what heaven will be like. It will be full of that kind of glorious diversity. Every beautiful race that exists reflects the image of God. We are collectively his image bearers. And what God has created is amazing and beautiful, and we need to appreciate it. I love what Galatians 3.28 says, speaking of Christians. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And that speaks of value and equality. We're one, and we need to start treating each other that way. 
I mentioned that I got to go to Triangle Lake last week and spend some time with Joy's family. She has a very large family, and I, I normally haven't thought of us as a diverse group of people. But as I sat there and looked and watched us interact that, that, that week, I just saw all this going on, and, and it just filled me with hope because it gave me a glimpse of what we have to look forward to at some point. Uh, there were blood relatives there. There were in-laws, and there were friends. There were men and women and lots of children. There were boomers and millennials. There were well-to-do people and people who just get by. I like to refer to them as tent people and trailer people. I have to be a trailer person. There were educated people and people like myself. There were conservatives and progressives. Yeah. People with different viewpoints. Ooh. Now it starts getting weird. There were people there who were white, black, Hispanic, Asian, Indian. My, my niece was adopted from India. And even a Basque guy there. And most people don't even know what that is. So Basque represented in the house. My, my, my beautiful nephew, Josiah, who has Down syndrome, was there. And I just looked around and I thought, thank you, Lord, for such a beautiful group of people who, while we were there, loved each other, respected each other, were kind and compassionate and thoughtful to each other. It was what we want to see happening everywhere. And I got a little glimpse, and it, it just filled my heart with hope. It filled my heart with joy. And I look forward to a time when that's what that'll be our reality, always. That's a good thing to look forward to. And, and the church needs to perpetuate that. So, as I look at our passage today, I see Paul, who was able to grab hold of hope in the midst of really bad circumstances. And I want to just give you guys a couple things that I know Paul did. Because Paul got discouraged. There were times when he did, didn't have hope, and, he, and these are a couple things that he looked at. He kept his eye on the prize. Yeah. Keep your eye on the finish line. Stop looking around. I don't know. I'm not. You can. You know. I don't have to tell you guys. I'm not a runner. You know this. <laughs> but I imagine if you're in a race, if you look at everything going on around you, it could probably get pretty just distracting. Just you think about how hot it is, how thirsty you are. How, you know. You got to look at the finish line. And for us, we need to keep our eyes on the prize. There's a savior there waiting. You said he's gone to prepare a place for us. Who wants to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Coming into the kingdom, I prepare for you. Keep your eyes on the prize. Stay focused on the mission that he's given us. He's given us a mission to go and love people and tell them about him. That's our mission. Don't get distracted from the mission. Keep your eyes on the mission. Because the minute I get my eyes back on myself, everything kind of seems crummy again. The minute I keep my eyes on the mission and what God's called me to do, gives me purpose. This has been a hard time to do that with all the quarantine and stuff. Get back to that. Paul trusted God no matter what. Paul didn't always know what was going on. He couldn't see around the corner, but he knew God did. And he knew that God cared for him and that God's promises were real. So he trusted God no matter what happened. And he kept continuing to trust God. We can trust our Father. And the last thing I see him doing is he constantly filled his soul with truth. This is so important for us to do, guys. The world right now would want to fill you with fear and lies and all kinds of negativity. God's Holy Spirit said he would lead us into all truth. Fill your heart and your mind with truth. Do it for yourself. Do it for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's be truth tellers to each other and remind people of the goodness of God, the hope of God, and the gospel that saves us. Father, we do want to thank you for all the hope that is evident, Lord, that, that your grace is all around us all the time and that we have that to hold on to. 
that we can trust your name, we can trust your plan and your purpose, even when we don't understand it. Lord, thank you that, that you've given us the opportunity to be ambassadors and, and truth tellers to the, to the people around us. Give us a heart of love and compassion to be bridge builders with people, to go out and make those connections, to find ways to tell people that Jesus Christ is a Savior who came to live the life we couldn't live, to die a death in our place on the cross, the one that we deserved. He took that punishment. He died for our sins. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead victorious over sin and death. And that if we would trust in that, if we would place our hope and our trust in that, we can be saved. Lord, help us to take that message into the world. Thank you that you've saved us and been so good to us. In Jesus' name.